And I want us to begin by reading chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. So Genesis 25, 1 through 18. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimron and Jokshan and Medon and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Laumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah and Ephor and Hanak and Abida and Elda'ah. These were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Lahairoi. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abdeel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, Hadad, and Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kadamah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is in the east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. Father, today as we open your word, I pray that we would, in opening your word, come into your presence now. That you would countenance us with your blessing and with your presence. That because of your presence, that this would be the house of the Lord today for us. And God, I pray that we would so be blessed by your word that we would say with Psalm 84 that It really has been better to spend one day in your courts under your word than it would be to spend a thousand days any other place. So bless us that way now in your word and lift up your son for us from this Old Testament book of Genesis again. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Toby recently, uh, as probably most of you know, went to see her family in Louisiana And one of the nights while they were there, they sat down to watch uh, an old Super 8 video turned into a a VHS video that was filmed when Toby was three years old. Um, And as they watched it, the way she described it was that everyone was flabbergasted because uh, it seemed, were it not for the lime green and butterscotch furniture in the background and those beautiful 70s hairstyles, that they might have... Uh, actually believed that they were watching a film of Julia instead of her mother. Uh, 
when they were three, when Toby was three, and now that Julia's three, they had the same haircut, the same body shape, the same facial expressions, and the same playful singing and into everything kind of personality. Um, so that's what I prayed for before we had a, a daughter. I prayed for a little Toby, and I got exactly what I asked for, it seems like. And on a more sobering note, several of you have pointed out that Andrew uh, has, is receiving the family likeness from the male side of the family um, and some of the less uh, admirable characteristics of his dad. So pray for him. But the point is this. The saying is true, isn't it, that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. For better or for worse, children usually look a lot like their parents. And I don't just mean look physical looks, but in the way that they act and the way that they think and even the way that they express themselves. Now, Abraham had two sons, uh, at least two initially. We read of some others, but he had two sons uh, that it seems he spent the most time with, at least that the Bible spends the most time talking about, Ishmael and Isaac. We just read in verses 1 through 18, particularly the last few verses of verses 1 through 18, that Ishmael, spiritually at least, didn't look a lot like his father. Ishmael was not the beneficiary of his father's blessings, nor the Lord's promises. And Ishmael, instead of being generous like Abraham had been with Lot and said, Lot, you take whatever land is best for you. Ishmael, verse 18, settled in defiance of all his relatives. So one of Abraham's sons didn't come out looking like Abraham very much at all. Isaac, on the other hand, as we read, we'll find was a spitting image of his dad. Now, Genesis 25 and 26 give us the life of Isaac in a flash. That's why we're covering them together this morning. And if there's anything that stands out about the life of Isaac, it is that his life is almost a mirror image of his father Abraham's life. Everything that seemed to happen to Abraham happened to Isaac. Everything that seemed to be a good characteristic about Abraham was good in Isaac. And everything that seemed to be a bad characteristic in Abraham seemed to be a bad characteristic in Isaac. So what I want to do to kind of help you get your minds around this lengthy passage, uh, it's, it's about 60 verses that we're covering this morning, is I want to walk through it bit by bit, a few verses at a time, just showing you how similar Abraham and his son Isaac really were, how much alike they really looked. So let's just start walking through the rest of chapter 25 and then chapter 26. And I just want you to see six ways as we go along that Isaac looked just like his daddy. First, Isaac inherited his father's family dysfunction. Isaac inherited his father's family dysfunction. Now you remember uh, that Abraham had an affair with his wife's cleaning lady. We just read about her, Hagar, verse 12, the Egyptian Sarah's maid. Abraham had an affair with a cleaning lady. And that affair led to an illegitimate son, Ishmael. It led to a bitter wife, Sarah. And it led to a big family fight in chapter 16. Sarah, instead of forgiving her husband, instead of accepting this illegitimate son into the family, played favorites in chapter 21. She made it really clear that Isaac was the one who was really important in this family. And so there's probably little doubt that Isaac grew up knowing that. Isaac grew up knowing that he was the favorite of his parents, Sarah and Abraham. And no doubt, growing up knowing that he was the favorite, contributed to the way he raised his own children. As we read now in verses 19 through 34. Just look and see if you can see something in Isaac that we have already seen in Abraham and his wife Sarah. 
Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to further talk about this relationship between Jacob and Esau and we'll come back to these verses but for now let's just point out this Esau was a fool and Jacob his younger brother was a selfish little man and that's why they fought and from the very beginning it seems they went at it and as we read on into the book of Genesis this fall we're going to discover that the strife between Jacob and Esau was all part of God's plan to create the nation of Israel through Jacob and not through Esau. Just as we read in verse 23, God said, the older shall serve the younger. So it was God's plan that these two would be at each other's throats a bit and that that the older would serve the younger. But that doesn't negate the fact that Isaac and Rebekah contributed to their son's behavior by playing favorites. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game and Rebekah loved Jacob, presumably because he was the mama's boy who was always around the house. And at least for Isaac's part of this favoritism, it's not a surprise that he did it. He'd grown up this way. His parents made him the favorite over his older brother and over all the other children. Like father, like son. Isaac inherited his father's Family dysfunction. On a better note, number two, Isaac also inherited his father's promises. Isaac inherited his father's promises. Abraham, as you recall, again, was the recipient recipient of some amazing promises from the Lord. Chapter 12, God promised, I will make you a great nation. He promised, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And to your descendants, I will give this land, meaning the land of Canaan. And as we discover in chapter 26, verses 1 through 6, God's intention all along was to pass those promises along to Isaac and to bring them to fulfillment through Isaac. Read verses 1 through 6. 
Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, another thing that happened to them both. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and I will... And will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Abraham's God's plan with Abraham was to bless him and eventually to bless all the ends of the earth through him by sending the Messiah through the nation of Israel, which would come out of Abraham's family. And so here in verses 1 through 6, God makes the exact same promises to Isaac as he had made to Abraham to ensure that all the families of the earth would be blessed through this Jewish nation. So Isaac inherited his father's promises like father, like son again. Thirdly, Isaac inherited his father's sin nature. Isaac inherited his father's sin nature. We might even say Isaac inherited his father's particular sin habits. We worked through Abraham's life in chapters 12 through 23, and we saw his sin nature on display in various ways. But probably the most memorable way that Abraham sinned was by selling off his wife as a prostitute in order to protect his own hide in chapter 12. They came into the land. He said, my wife, Sarah, she's beautiful. Someone might see her and say she's beautiful and wants her for their own, and they might kill me. So I'll just pretend she's my sister and let her, any man that wants her have her. It's a pretty bad thing. And what's worse is that he did the exact same thing again in chapter 20. And here in chapter 26, verses 7 through 11 now, we remember again that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Listen to what Isaac did as he grew older. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking, The men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abraham called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So here we have Isaac. I'm going into this land. I have a beautiful wife. Someone in this land might want to take her for his own wife, and so I'd better just pretend she's my sister so that they don't try to move me out of the way in order to get to her. Now, Isaac probably didn't think up this cowardly solution on his own. You think... And you can go back and read the story and find out that Isaac wasn't born when his father had pulled this same stunt. But Isaac had probably heard tale of it, either from his dad or maybe from his mom or from the servants in the house. Isaac knew what had happened. And so, when put in a pinch, he resorts to the same tactics as his father, using his wife as a prostitute in order to save his own neck. And incidentally, the same king, Abimelech, Happened to him in chapter 20 with Abraham, and now six chapters later, Abraham's son does the same thing. Abraham inherited his father's sin 
patterns. Like father, like son. Fourthly, Abraham inherited his father's land. Part of God's promise to Abraham and to his descendants, as we already said, was to give them the land of Canaan, what we now know as Israel, Palestine, that area. And we were reminded just here in chapter 25, verses 9 and 10, that God had already begun to deed the land over to Abraham. Abraham had the title deed to this field of Ephron and this cave in the field, the cave of Machpelah. Abraham owned that. And now in chapter 26, verses 12 through 22, we find Isaac is reclaiming some of this same land that his father had once lived in. And we find that the Lord is now adding to his possession by giving him further land, uh, particularly this land that's going to be called Rehoboth. Read verses 12 through 22. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names which his father had given them. So he's retaking this land. Of his dad's. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well flowing with water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they had contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. So in giving Isaac room and in making him fruitful in the land, God was continuing to fulfill his land promises to which he had made to Abraham. Isaac inherited his father's land like father, like son. Fifthly, Isaac inherited his father's faith. There's no doubt that Abraham passed his sin patterns on to his son, but Abraham also was a believer. Abraham knew that he needed a Savior. So wherever Abraham went, he built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. You can read that twice in chapter 12, twice in chapter 13, and again in chapter 22. Abraham building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. And every time he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord, it was a reminder to himself and to his God that he was a sinner who needed forgiveness. And so this was an act of faith for him. Abraham knew that he needed a blood sacrifice to atone for his sins, just like we do. So he built an altar, he offered a sacrifice, and he called on the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord did. So it's no surprise, growing up with a father like that, that we find Isaac now in chapters 26, verses 23 through 25, doing the same thing, exercising the same kind of faith. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So Isaac had learned from his dad how to sin, but he had also learned from his dad what it was to go to the Lord in faith 
seeking and finding forgiveness for his sin and rest for his conscience by calling upon the name of the Lord. Isaac imitated his father's faith, like father, like son. And sixthly, the last way that we see that they're similar is that Isaac inherited his father's prestige. God had shown favor and blessing to Abraham, and Abraham became a man of great wealth, he became a man of great influence, and he became a man who was greatly respected by his neighbors. His power became so impressive that this king, Abimelech, that we've been reading about, who, who could call out an entire army uh, under his command, felt compelled to seek a peace agreement with Abraham in chapter 21. That's how powerful Abraham had gotten. He must have had enough power and enough men that whole armies needed to make peace with him for fear that he might overtake them. And here at the end of chapter 26, we find that this same king, Abimelech, seeks the same kind of agreement with Abraham's powerful and respected son, Isaac. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, verse 26, with his advisor Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. that You will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So even even uh, pagan kings are recognizing about Isaac the same thing they recognize about his dad. You are blessed of the Lord. God made Abraham great and he passed down Abraham's possessions and his prestige to his son Isaac. So again... Like father, like son. So Isaac inherited his father's family dysfunction. He inherited his father's promises and blessings from the Lord. He inherited his father's sin patterns. He inherited his father's land. He, inherited, he imitated his father's faith. And he inherited his father's prestige. Every way, Isaac turned out just like his dad. Now, the question is, what does all this mean for us? This is somewhat interesting historically if you're just trying to understand the book of Genesis. And I hope that these comparisons that I've made have helped you to do just that, to understand the life of Isaac a little better. But this is not a history class. This is a sermon. The goal of a sermon is to take Bible history and Bible theology and Bible doctrine and apply it to your life so that you walk out of here today moved by the Spirit of God to act in faith toward the Lord. So the question is, what is this passage? What, do, what is all this like father and like son with Isaac and Abraham? What does all this have to say to men and women and children living in 2006, sitting in the Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church building on a Sunday morning? What is God's appointed word for us from this passage? There are lots of ways that we could go. One thing we might do is just hammer the same nail that we've been hammering almost every week in Genesis. Namely, that God always does what he says he will do. God had promised Abraham a son. God had promised to bless that son. And here we see God's promises and Abraham's faith coming to full flower in the life of Isaac. 
So take that lesson home with you again today, that the Lord always does what he says he will do. But we've driven that nail a lot in the last weeks, and so we're not going to continue striking it this morning. We just mentioned it in passing. But there are three other, I think, necessary applications and helpful applications that we need to make for ourselves from this story. So, so three things that you might take from this and use Monday through Sunday this week. Number one, most obviously, I think, parenting is vitally important. Abraham was a miniature, I mean, excuse me, Isaac was a miniature Abraham. And then he grew up to be a full-size spitting image of Abraham. And so will almost every child who is ever born. Even children who grow up living without one parent or the other oftentimes grow up with an uncanny resemblance to that absent parent. And I don't just mean a physical resemblance. I mean children who grow up without their dad sometimes grow up to have the same personality and temperament as their dad that they never knew. It's amazing. Parenting is important. And it's all the more important when children grow up watching and listening to their parents for 18 years. If you have children, they're going to grow up to be a lot like you. And if you look at your parents, you'll note that you grew up to be a lot like them, more than you probably wished you had. What this means is that our counsels and our examples and our discipline will walk with our children for decades after most of us are dead and gone. Think about Isaac. Isaac's father, Abraham, was a faithful lover of God. He was, by and large, a very good example for his son. But the few blemishes that were on his record did not escape the notice of his son. The few things that he really blew in his life came home to roost in the life of his son. His parents' favoritism, Isaac repeated. His father's deceit, Isaac imitated. His father's lack of concern for his wife's safety and chastity, Isaac watched and repeated. Isaac's sin patterns are almost exact replicas of his father's sin patterns. And so it will be with each of us. Our kids will turn out like us. Children who have parents that smoke usually grow up to smoke. Research tells us that, so does the Bible from this story. Parents who overeat generally will have children who do the same. Parents who are constantly complaining about this thing and that will have whiny, discontented children. Parents who are strong-willed will have the strong-willed child. It's the way it works. It's not not just the child's fault. It comes through mom and dad. Parents who are too busy for their children will have children who are too busy for their children. And incidentally, they will have children who are too busy for their parents when their parents are old and need help. Parents for whom church is just a a once-a-week formality will have children who quit church at the age of 18, by and large. There are exceptions to all these things, but these are the general patterns. This is what the Bible means when the Lord speaks of visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. You can find that in Exodus 20, Numbers 14, and Deuteronomy 5. God will visit the iniquities of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? doesn't mean that God is going to punish the children for their father or mother's sins. But what it means is the same sins that are prevalent in us are going to be prevalent in our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, most likely. 
So our children and our grandchildren after us are going to look a lot like us. We begin to see that coming to fruition in Isaac's children, right? Abraham was deceitful, so Isaac learned to be deceitful. And now we just read in chapter 25 that Jacob was also deceitful and selfish, like his father and like his grandfather, like father, like son. Now, on the other side of that, thank God that we also have this general promise in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. So if you train a child in the way he shouldn't go, that's the way he's going to go. But if you train him in the way he should go, then that's the way he's going to go. That's God's general promise. Thank God that Isaac imitated his father's godly characteristics as well. Why was Isaac so patient when these men from Abimelech kept harassing him and filling his wells up with dirt? Well, one reason was that his dad was really patient and he probably got to watch him for all those years. Remember, Abraham was the one who waited 24 years for God to fulfill the promise of his son. Abraham was an incredibly patient man and it rubbed off on his son, didn't it? Why did Isaac act so wisely with his wealth that all the people around him respected him and feared him? Instead of going into the tank like so many people who come into a lot of money all at once. Why was Isaac wise with his money? Well, largely because he had watched his dad be wise with his money. He would watched his dad wisely and generously and faithfully use the wealth that God had given him. And why did Isaac call upon the name of the Lord and become a believer? Now, don't get ahead of me here. The reason why Isaac called on the name of the Lord and became a believer is solely by the grace of God. But... Do you know that the main way that the grace of God was channeling into the life of Isaac was through the example and the faith of his father, Abraham, who also called upon the name of the Lord. So Abraham didn't make Isaac be saved, but the example that he laid opened up a wide door for the grace of God to come and change Isaac's life as well. So the lesson is plain, isn't it? Our children will more often than not grow up to look much like their parents. Generous parents cultivate generous children. Hardworking parents tend to produce hardworking children. Godly parents generally have the pleasure of growing up and watching their children come to faith in Christ. Again, there are exceptions to this. But Proverbs 22.6 is a proverb for a reason. Proverbs are general rules about the way the world works under God's grace. And the general way that the world works is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. So when we look at our children... And we see failures in our children. Our first instinct should not be to assume that they are the exception. Our first instinct should be to realistically examine our parenting techniques, whether they are in the past or in the present. So this is the first lesson. Parenting is vitally, vitally important. Now, having said that, number two, let's remember that we are not saved by our parents. We are not saved by our parents. Now, we compared Abraham and Isaac, and I use the word inherited a lot. Isaac inherited his father's sin patterns. Isaac inherited his father's prestige and so on. But I hope you noticed that when I spoke about the faith of Abraham and Isaac, that I intentionally did not use the word inherited. I used the word imitated. Isaac inherited all these other things from his dad, but he didn't inherit a relationship with God from his dad. Isaac imitated his father's faith. Because you see, faith in Christ, a right relationship with God, is not passed down genetically. Salvation is not inherited from parents to children. Now, 
Without question, parents play a huge role in the salvation of their children. Parents must urge their children to believe, and parents must pray for their children to believe, and parents must, by their example, persuade their children to believe in Christ. That makes sense, I hope, to you. Just like parents who who never read to their children shouldn't be surprised if their children don't grow up to be road scholars. Parents who never share the gospel with their children and who don't live the gospel out in front of their children shouldn't be surprised if their children don't grow up to be believers. But having said that, and having emphasized the importance of parenting, we need to realize that even with all of our best efforts, parents, our children's eternal destinies are between them and God. That's the whole importance of verses 23 through 25 in chapter 26, where we read that Isaac built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. God tells us that Isaac did that to let us in on the fact that Isaac, too, had to exercise faith. God didn't want us to just assume that Isaac was a believer on the basis of his pedigree alone. Not in the least. Isaac, too, had to exercise faith. Isaac, too, had to call upon the name of the Lord if he wished to be saved. And so, children and young people must you. If you're a teenager or you're a young adult and you grew up in a Christian family, you need to beware of falling into the trap of thinking that because your parents are faithful church members, then you must be in. That's not the way it works. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Every individual is individually responsible for his or her response to Jesus Christ. So, for those of you who are young, or maybe for those of you who are older, who grew up in a Christian family, I want to just ask you a question this morning. Have you come to the place where God is no longer, verse 24, just the God of your Father, but where by faith in Jesus Christ He has become your God? Have you come to a decision of faith such that you're no longer relying on your parents' prayers, but you have actually called in the name of the Lord yourself? If not, you need to. If not, I urge you to today. I urge you to remember that you can't get into heaven riding in the back seat of your parents' car. Their faith can only take you to the place of realizing your need for a Savior, but you must exercise faith in Christ yourself. So number one, parenting is vitally important. Number two, however, we are not saved by our parents. And number three, we are not saved by being good. We are not saved by being good. I hope that's clear to all of you. If it's not clear, it became painfully clear as we studied the lives of Abraham and Isaac. Both of these men made significant parenting blunders, picking favorites among their children. Not exactly what you'd expect someone to do if they were trying to earn their way back to heaven. Both of these men were less than admirable husbands. In fact, in some places they were downright abusive and terrible husbands, turning their wives into prostitutes to protect their own necks. Both of these men were dishonest. And Abraham, in fact, was an adulterer. As many ways as Abraham and Isaac may be worthy of our imitation, they are also bold examples of the fact that there is none righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. These men are both reminders of the fact of what Isaiah taught us in the 53rd chapter of his prophecy, that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own 
way. You know what? You and I are examples of that verse too. You and I have turned to our own way. And if we had God's cameras following us around and writing our stories in Scripture, people could point to us just as well as they could point to Abraham and say, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe that that's the way that Christians think. I can't believe that that's the way he treats his wife. I can't believe that that's the way she talks to her children. I can't believe that that's the way he responds to his employer. If our lives were recorded in chapters 25 and 26, we'd be saying the same kinds of things about us as we're saying about Abraham and Isaac. All of us are proof of the fact that there's none righteous, not even one. And thinking about that, I can't help but quote for you a song that um, I've been learning lately and has been very helpful to me. It goes like this. My life looks good, I do confess. You can ask anyone. Just don't ask my real good friends, because they'll lie to you. Or worse, they'll tell the truth. Because there are things that you would not believe that travel into my mind. I swear I try and capture them, but I always set them free. Seems bad things comfort me. And Lord, I am crooked deep down. Everyone is crooked deep down. Every one of us, if we had our stories recorded on the pages of Scripture would be bad examples, even mingled in with the right things that we did. Could you sing that song? If it were on the screen today, would you be able to honestly sing, Good Lord, I am crooked deep down? Or would you tighten your lips and say, I don't know if I believe that about myself. I don't think I've done anything all that bad. Have you come to grips with the fact that you're not as good as everyone might think that you are? And that if God gave you what you deserved, it certainly wouldn't be heaven. Abraham understood that. And so did Isaac. They knew what kind of men they were deep down. And they knew what kind of men they were not so deep down. That's why each of them built an altar, made a sacrifice, and called on the name of the Lord. They knew that only the Lord in his mercy could save them. They knew that the only way their sins could be atoned for was by a sacrifice of blood. So they built their altars, they sacrificed their lambs, and all the while they were anticipating the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what's important about that. These men were the inheritors of God's promises. Abraham had heard God speak to him audibly. Isaac had heard God speak to him audibly. They had the land. They had the promise of the family. They had the promise of becoming a great nation. They had the promise of all of God's blessings. And yet, Abraham and Isaac still understood that in spite of all that God had blessed them with, they needed personal forgiveness. They were not in by virtue of the fact that they were religious. They knew that they needed a Savior. Do you know that you need a Savior? Do you really know that you need a Savior? If you couldn't sing, I'm crooked deep down, then you don't know that you need a Savior. You think you're saved by your own good works. Some of you grew up in religious families. I'm well aware of that. So did I. We're just like Isaac. We had all the blessings of God around us, all the good examples around us. That doesn't make us Christians. Some of us... Most of us in this room this morning, by virtue of the fact that we're connected regularly to this church, get to enjoy all of God's blessings to his people. 
We get to hear his word and, and hear the songs and sing the songs and be loved and cared for by God's people. Just like Abraham and Isaac were beneficiaries of all God's blessings. That doesn't make us Christians either. Religion, family, heritage, the blessings of God, none of those things are equivalent to personal salvation through Jesus Christ. One can possess all the benefits on this earth that God has to offer and never have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. Never have called upon the name of the Lord because they think they're pretty good and they think that because they are religious, they must be in. So I just close by asking you, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you stopped relying on your father's God and started trusting him as your own God? Let me close from Luke 23 with a story of a man who did just that. A man who, like Abraham and Isaac, called upon the Lord and was saved. I'll read these verses. I won't make any comment on them. We'll pray and dismiss. Luke 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Father, I pray that as we consider the fact that what we deserve is death, And beyond that, an eternity of judgment. That we would not, as it were, hang on the cross and convince ourselves that because we went to the church services or because our parents were Christians or because we knew the right answers or because we had done a few good things in our lives, that everything would be okay. God, help us consider what we really deserve and help us like this thief on the cross to humble ourselves, to admit our guilt, to admit our absolute need of a Savior and then to cry out to that Savior, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. God, I pray even for those who are believers and they know they're believers today that we would find ourselves 
crying that out again, just as a reaffirmation of our hope resting only in the crucified Savior. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to study together Genesis chapters 25 and 26 this morning.